Welcome back to Out of the Question, brought to you by The Kicker. The Kicker is my newsletter slash website, which is full of all sorts of journalism and opinion. Also, 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 if you go to The Kicker website, you'll see a link to Wilfred, which is a bit of a tribute page to the Australian version of the show. Check it all out at thekicker.substack.com. Subscribe now. Talking of Wilfred, this week's very special episode of Out of the Question is a Wilfred reunion episode with my fellow Wilfred creator, Jason Gann. We speak about the origins of the show and where Jason is in his life right now. I met him as an acting student at the University of Southern Queensland. After graduating, he performed for the Queensland Theatre Company and the Twelfth Night Theatre in Brisbane before moving to Melbourne and appearing in The Wedge, Wilfred, and also the feature film Rats and Cats, which screened at South by Southwest. He then went on to make the Channel 10 series Mark Love Sharon before moving to the US where he starred in, executive produced, and was one of the writers on the US version of Wilfred, which ran for four seasons on FX. As usual, I started off by asking Jason how his colleagues would describe him. As a real son of a gun, right? uh, passionate, <laughs> probably. Um, look, I've had the displeasure of reading online you know, someone speaking less than highly about the experience of working with me uh, back in Molina and many years. I did have someone quit a show once because I chewed them out over a failure to deliver something that I deemed important. Now, that was a bit awkward. Um, but it's really, you know, it was more about their dismissive attitude that um, graded me rather than the failure itself. Um, so I, I kind of tend to hold myself to this very high level of professionalism. And if some, if, and I don't expect everyone to meet that level, but, it, it, you know, if, if it's way below that level, I, I can sometimes be vocal. Um, I... Uh, you know, and there's there's a lot of um, you know egos in the business when people are told that they're not doing something that you know they have a certain level of professionalism that they should meet. Um, safety standards on set is something that um, you know I can get pretty upset about if they're not met. Um, so you know, I'd say passionate above all else. Um, you know, in you know, cannabis company work dealings, I you know think people would think of me. You know. I hope they think of me sort of in a family type sense, but um, I'm mellowing. But in my younger years, I could be pretty, uh, pretty terse. It's funny that we talk about the, um, the different standards between Australian, you know, professionalism and American professionalism. Like I found that in things like uh, costumes and stuff that, uh, as you would remember, you know, I had some clashes when things that, uh, you know, that I felt were important weren't, um, weren't done and I was being dismissed and but yet the safety safety areas in in Australia were were incredible and then I went to Hollywood and um you know there was never any request anything like any costume thing whatever they bent over backwards to try to help me but I've actually found that this in personal experience the safety was was well below what I would have expected but I remember when we were shooting a scene in Australia where Wilfred is leaning out the, the um, car, car window barking at someone and I, uh, they had me in a harness under the suit and a hole coming out of the back seat. I was like very, very secure. And then there was a time when I was on set in Hollywood and I find myself driving. We were in, in this back road, um, you know, in, out near uh, outside of uh, 
LA and you know, as Academy Award winner driving the vehicle, um, <laughs> wasn't Robin Williams, but uh, the other Academy Award winner in the show, and uh, and I and they had Wilfred sitting on the back of a convertible where all it would have taken, with no restraints whatsoever, all it would have taken was a slight uh, acceleration from the actor, and Wilfred would have toppled over backwards and landed on the back of my head with no helmet. So I I was really vocal about that that day, and you know I ruffled a couple of feathers, but um. But, you know, I just insisted that safety is absolutely um, a must on set. So if I am vocal about something, then uh, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty confident in the moment. And then I go away and think, oh, did I, did I, was I too much? Did I, was that, did I lean on that too heavily? You know, um, yeah, I my mean, bad it, person. <laughs> <laughs> every time I guess I win an argument, there's that little, little part, but I, I've, over the years I have learned to, um, taper that off and just sort of, you know, because then you don't want to undo it again and then, you know, make out that you're wrong when, when you weren't in the wrong. Um, so not as much, but yeah, but I, I know what you mean. You're, uh, the other thing that people say about you, I'd say very funny. <laughs> like you're, 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 you're very funny. I mean, I was looking at some Wilfred deleted scenes today, actually. And, um, you know, you're, you're always cracking up and uh, enjoying other people's performances and and stuff like that. You know, so there's a there's a there's a joy there as well, mate. <clears throat> Look, here's the thing. Above all else, I always want. It's always about the the, the show being the best production it can be. Um, mm. And it rarely is what I want it to be. But you know, I've also. I mean, there's a reason why I haven't watched any of the episodes since they went to air because you know I'd I'd still. Oh, actually, I had to sit through the short film of Wilfred when we were at this uh, in Las Vegas at this Tropfest um, celebration thing a few years ago, and they, they flew me on a, a private jet from LA to Vegas, and it was a big, lavish event. But watching it was like, uh, for me, it was just like sitting on needles or something. It was agony because it just felt like the pauses went forever. And it was just like, I mean, everyone else was laughing like they always had. But for me, it just it seemed to go for eternity. So I, I'll always be pretty critical of, of the work that I do. But um, I still you know, seek perfection. I'm, I'm still waiting for my invitation to that event. Um, so I'll... <laughs> it might be a while, mate. I think Tropfest <laughs> is, is all washed up now. I Googled it a while ago. I thought, whatever happened to Tropfest? And uh, yeah. Mate, question mm. two is what's the most unhelpful feedback you've received? The most unhelpful feedback would be um, you should make another season of Wilfred. I mean, I hear that all the time, you know, fans writing that all the time. You should make another season of Wilfred. So, oh, yeah, okay, I'll just. I get on the phone of the network and uh, we'll tell the troops to be shooting Monday. Thanks for uh, getting my career back on track. Appreciate it. But uh, but uh, people don't realise that you know million dollar per episode decisions like that are not in our hands. <laughs> they just think yeah, make a movie, make another season. Simple as that. Yeah, and also I mean, look, you can't just. It's hard to you know. I remember when Wilfred was finishing in America and on the last day, you know, someone come crew come up to me and someone in the crew come up and said, what do you, what, what, I can't wait to see what's next for you. Like, what's after this? I'm like, well, look, I'm not even going to try to um, replicate or find another Wilfred character because it doesn't, there isn't no other. It's like Wilfred's Hamlet and a dog suit, right? So um, I'm not going to ever try to achieve this again. I'll just do whatever I, you know, I don't know what's next, but uh yeah, it's it's um it's pretty hard to, as you know, um, manufacture uh, something a mad that magic yeah. that we 
managed to capture with Wilfred. Yeah, you never know what appeals to people. I'm, I'm, you know, I appreciate Wilfred more and more as I get older. So yeah, yeah, me um, too, mate. I mean, look, I used to loathe getting in that dog suit, but now every time I put it on, like I feel like it's just sort of a uh, an honor. You know, it's a little ceremony yeah, because nice. that character has done so much for me over the years you know mm. um, there's been times where I've thought it was you know like a, a cross to bear and that um I was kind of like it was hard for me to break people's idea of me as an actor um outside of Wilfred but mm. um man I mean when you think about those LL theater days and you think about all of the characters that we created to try to you know generate um some stories and some work to think that this uh, dog's been around for all these years and still just uh and the people are just as passionate today about it is pretty um it's it's pretty, I feel pretty lucky yeah, because it happened by accident because you were going to play a character called Keith Cobain, but then you got a haircut. <laughs> and um, Keith Cobain, for listeners, was a, a a rock star who <laughs> a rock star who was you know towards the end of his career and you know things he was still in his twenties, but it was like things you know his star had had, had dulled, and um, Jason had the most perfect haircut that he'd ever had, and uh, then he had he played a Nazi and shaved that head. And uh, and so we had to come up well, with something it was else. Nazi Hitler used, so they sh- yeah, they shaved the signs up, didn't they? It was a nasty <laughs> haircut, and not only that, they didn't even shoot the scene, my scene. So I was in a, I was, I was basically an extra. I just got standing there with some some drill sergeant yelling in my yelling in my ear, and uh, as I, and I was, that was my welcome to Melbourne. Actually, it was I just arrived like a couple of days beforehand. But um, yeah, you just never know. You like just some never divine know. intervention that someone shaved your head so you would ha- you would have to kind of remember I, I mean look i remember when we shot the short film um we agreed to go and have rap drinks at, at some pub in richmond yep. and we were driving down there i probably i don't know if i was with you i was i, I caught a lift with someone and the, and the car pulled up at a set of lights and i looked to the car next to me because i just felt someone looking at me and there was this dog looking at me directly into into my eyes and i felt like he was looking like he had some kind of knowledge or understanding and he was saying to me like go and tell our story tell our story you know and i was like at that point we had no ambitions for this to go anywhere beyond uh, a short film but we did we were confident that it was going to resonate with people but we certainly had no idea that this uh little idea could uh could generate so much uh, tra- uh, uh, traction. The, the uh, that's right. I'm trying to remember what that pub was. It was something duck. But anyway, I'll, I'll I'll look it up. Um, no, it was. <laughs> you will too. Yeah, th- there's. Uh, yeah, I I do think there was something divine about that. And um, you know, I always, you know, because my mum had died only a few weeks before we came you know, came up with it. And we came up with it on your birthday, which is November 5, 2001. And um, yeah. it's in my living room and, uh, and we shot it within two weeks. And I distinctly remember we had all the, the camera gear in my flat and you were sleeping in the living room with all the camera gear and all the sound gear. Remember all that? It was like, in those days you're shooting on film. So it was just like $350,000 worth of gear. And I thought we were going to get burgled and you said yeah, I was screaming in my sleep. <laughs> and like in my sleep, I was yes. like screaming at burglars. 
Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I remember when time, we mate. picked it up. I remember picking up the gear with you and you were very <laughs> nervous and we were picking up all this, all this gear and you were constantly reminding me how much it was all worth. Because <laughs> we didn't take insurance. <laughs> he goes, you can take insurance, but that was like an extra thousand bucks to take the insurance. Right, out. right. And then we had to wait for the guy at Kodak. I had to meet the guy from Kodak on the corner of Coppin and Church, uh, Coppin and, uh, and Bridge Street. And yeah. like, it was like a drug deal. He just turned up in a fucking Datsun and gave me all these um, offcuts for 3000 bucks or something. And uh, mm. that's what we used. Anyway, great days, mate. Oh, what mate, is the failure you most, what's the failure you most cherish, buddy? I've got a lot, um, I've got a lot of failures. Um, I, I'm a big believer in the butterfly effect. Um, and that, you know, you, if you go back in time and do the back to the future thing, just the slightest change will change everything. So that has really helped me um, deal with probably the biggest failure, which is that um, I guess t- uh, 12 years ago, you know, I had that, uh, I was pretty, it was in the media, this, uh, the bus driver event at the, at the races Derby Day races. Um, there was some alcohol. There was some wrestling. There was some court. There was some words. There was some suing. There was a, some ma- major financial losses, and um, and you know that could have that really could have ended me um, because um, I really it just wiped me out. But you know what what I convinced myself is that. Um, you know, if I if that hadn't happened, the way it did, if I hadn't have been that guy on that night, um, and I, if I hadn't have been sued in that way, I wouldn't have gotten sober when I did. I wouldn't have met my wife and had my two sons, and they're the light of my life. You know, they're the reason why I do everything now. And without, I can't go. Whenever I think back to that bus driver stuff, and I would never do it that kind of thing again. But whenever I think about it, I have to bless that past. I have to bless that mistake because if it wasn't for that, um, like with anything, um, I wouldn't have changed to become the man that I did become um, because at that point in time, I was a very troubled troubled person. Mate, that's a lovely lovely, uh, thing to say. So... When did you get? When did that philosophy kind of happen upon you? It was it like something you always uh, had, or was it, re, is it kind of recent? No, no, I had to. I had to work on it. You know, I had to, um, you know, train my brain to do it because we do tend to want to, you know, um, be regretful and uh, and get angry about you know in miscarriages of justice here and there or whatever. Um, uh, but you know, I. I one of the things I, I, I would discipline my mind to do is um, I describe it as saying having like a, a library you know, of, of corridors in your in your um, in your in your head in your memory, and I walk. If something's bugging me, if it's coming back and it's just dry, I can't sleep. It's driving me crazy. I, I will I will go walk down the corridor and I'll open the drawer and that's where it lives. That's where the bus driver incident lives. Everything to do with it. And if I'm if, if I'm going, I'll take it out. If I have to deal with it, I have to have to pay a lawyer, or I have to do something that's related to that. And I'll just get right into it. And then when that is, then when I feel like I've done what I needed to do, then I'll, I'll in my head go back down that corridor and I'll put it back in that drawer. I close the drawer and I leave. 
and I don't let myself think about it because otherwise it will um, destroy me. And so, um, you know, like I, th it, that isn't the only incident where I've gone, had I made a different decision that I wouldn't have, um, you know, have my, my boys like I do now, but there's, you know, my whole life is full of those decisions, but um yeah, I, you know, also my, also getting sober was a very uh, spiritual experience for me as well. So um, for me to, you know, find God again after feeling like I had a, a very spiritual connection with God as a small child and I got I was very disconnected for many years, um, it was a very, um, very spiritual experience for me finding sobriety. And so that's, that's worth all of the, you know, uh, you know I, I don't have the money now that I, you know, I wish that I'd had if I'd made better choices along the way. But um, shit, I mean, I might not have even gone to America if I hadn't done that. Because if you remember, like, I had this option of, like, um, fighting it because, um, you know, the, the, the investigating detective didn't think that there should have been a case, right? But the fact that it went to case, if you, if, if you fight anything and you lose then you are obliged to um, receive a tougher penalty from the from the court. They're obliged to give you a tougher penalty than if you had a pled guilty and saved them the time. So um, I was I knew I was guilty of common assault. Grab someone, that's common assault. Just grab them by the shirt, it's common assault. I wasn't guilty of what I was being accused of doing, but at the same time, if I had fought that and I had a lost, um, it would have ended my chances going to America. And we, at that point, we had, I had no opportunity in America. The, 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 there was no opportunity for Wilfred or anything like that point. But I always had this glimmer in the back of my head that, you know, there was, I want to keep that option open. So I took the hit um, and I did get cleared from a conviction. So I was clear to go to America if I ever wanted to. But it left me open for a massive um, civil civil case. So I had some great creative success and uh, I got a lot of great fans and stuff, but I didn't have the um, monetary success um, that I, I would have hoped for. But um, shit, it's life. It's life, you know. Yeah. You just got to live it and you just got to roll with those punches. And as I get older, I'm, I get better at, um, at you know, make, res making a resolution with my past actions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's 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 lovely, mate. And um, which word or phrase do you most overuse? <laughs> Get out of here! <laughs> Get out of here! Get out of there! My, uh, it's my, my. I got a dog that she just is obsessed with me. She follows me around everywhere. She's staring at me like Michael Myers, you know. But especially when I'm eating, and I was like. Give us some food now. Get out of here! And the kids are always in the um. The kids are always like in the office, jumping over things, breaking things. Get out of here! It's kind of like a um. I kind of, it's my it's my faux angry voice, you know. Like it's kind of like um, my catchphrase, my sitcom catchphrase, and it's like now it doesn't matter how big you say. You can say it's so big. Get out of there! Yeah. You know? yeah. But I think that my dad used to be a lot. Said, like uh, my dad used to say that to me as a kid. And so, you know, yeah. the kids, you know, I, I don't think that they feel satisfied unless they hear it get out of here because it means that they've managed to successfully, you know, um, annoy me or, you know, yeah. can, create some chaos. Can they do it in a Australian accent? Um, I yeah, look, my... The weird thing is about my family is we were four people in the family. We all got different accents and people say, so whose accent is that? My, my two sons, neither of them have got, a, my older son's got more of an American accent 
and my youngest son's got this kind of hybrid Aussie Spanish uh-huh. broken English accent and my what? wife's clearly it's Spanish so she's got the you know broken English but sometimes she tries telling me that she's got an LA accent and within English which she doesn't but she <laughs> some people have said that she sounds a little bit Australian so her most of her Australian her English is very Australian and so these poor, two poor kids um, they've got just very unique accents so all four of us have completely different accents from each other uh, it's great I, I remember you saying get out of here a lot and it's a it's a it's such a great it's because it is very affectionate but um it, it reminds me just when you with the australian accent because you are living in spain at the moment there was um because you know my my family had was it uh knew rupert murdoch well and uh mm. he used to always say if you want to scare the american executives speak in your most guttural australian accent <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, I, I look when we were shooting American Wilfred, I was in this first days, or actually throughout the series, I was like, "Can you understand me? Can you understand me?" Because I just wanted to make sure that I captured it, still had my Australian accent, but um, also could be understood because yeah. uh, you know they, the Americans loved it when I say water. Yeah, <laughs> water. W A D A. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's um. Maybe there was a slight, there was a slight just rounding of the accent. It was just like, yeah. well, it just wasn't yeah. as harsh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah a soothing, more of a soothing version of, of Wilfred. Um, final question, mate, is do you have a motto? Yeah, mate, it's the same motto I've had for years and which is um, I'm always right until proven wrong, but I love being proved wrong. Um, I feel that, um, you know, you, you can't make a lot of decisions by committee. Um, so you, someone needs to make a strong decision in things. And I, and I have a strong conviction anyway. Um, but having said that, I love being wrong. I love, I think that's one of the hardest things that people have is the the inability to accept that they're wrong. And, and And I often have that they don't want to be they don't admit it to themselves more than even other people but when you when you admit that you're wrong and uh oh there's, there's a better idea than yours um people like it endears people to, to you as well as you growing uh as i said i made a lot of mistakes and so by admitting those uh, that i'm wrong and that's why i say i'm right and until proven wrong but and there's no comma even, but I always love being proved wrong because the best idea I was, I was going to win. And I remember, you remember, you remember Ago, who was a drummer in my band, yeah. but he was also first AD on our, on Wolf for the short film. Yes. And I think the pilot. Well, he, I remember once um, we were, when we're shooting the, the scene, there's a scene where, you know, you're in the toilet um, taking a piss and I come in there and I'm having a look and say, what do you plan to do with my missus? Uh, you want to watch a DVD? And it's, people love that scene. And then before I turn the light out, I say, yeah, we'll make nachos. You didn't know how to make nachos. And you go, yeah. Well, that line, if you remember in the script, the original script was, um, do you know how to make nachos? Do you know how to make nachos? Right. Yeah, yeah, and, I, yeah. and we'd already shot a couple of scenes and um, shot a couple of takes. And then Ago took me aside. He said, um, you know, in a break, do you know that scene, the line where you say, um, do you know how to make nachos? I think it'd be um, funny, really good if you said, um, uh, 
you do know how to make nachos, kind of like assuming you do, like put that pressure back on him. <laughs> now, a lot of actors would have just, a lot of actors would have been offended by that. A lot of actors would have just been very offended that someone could st- come and tell them how to assume to tell them how to do comedy or do a line reading, whatever. I was like, great, got it. And I, and I did it that way. It's still in there to this day. And, st- and Ago still claims that all the success of Wilfred is because of that line, because of that suggestion. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to sign up to The Kicker where you can see bonus video content on episodes as well as heaps of other journalism and opinion. That's thekicker.substack.com. See you next time.